Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to Grape Top Online. Glad y'all could make it. Um, go Spurs go, right? It doesn't matter what sport is playing, go Spurs go. Um, Happy Super Bowl. Hope you get some wings today. Um, Right, Lucy? Yeah. (laughs) Um, We are going to go ahead and get started. And today we're continuing our series, The Will of God. The Will of God. And this whole series, this month, we're talking and really unpacking the idea of what is the will of God. And what I've found is that in our Christian culture, we have developed a very narrow idea of what the will of God is. And a lot of Christians get really confused or even um, mounted with guilt because they don't know what the will of God is and they don't want to make the wrong decision. And it's like this very complicated scene in people's minds and hearts of wanting to do the right thing, but not really knowing what it is. And so we are unpacking that this whole month. Today, we are specifically talking about the idea of being heavenly-minded and earthly good. Being heavenly-minded and earthly good. If you've ever heard the term before, I think it's one of the best churchy quotes I've heard in uh, my, my church history. And that is, sometimes we become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Sometimes we become so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. And today, I want us to really grasp the idea of being heavenly minded or spiritually minded while bearing in mind that we are here on earth to do good works. So let's first talk about the idea of strength in Christ, finding strength in Christ. You can find the strength to endure anything through God. You can find the strength to endure anything through God. And I want to expound on this by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. So what people mainly reference this scripture is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, depending on what version you read. And what I've found is a lot of people have taken this end of this passage out of context and have used this verse as kind of like a miracle verse or even a vending machine verse. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we just like run in blatant, uh, you know, I I, I believe God's going to just fulfill my need. And yes, God can. But when we look at the whole passage, Paul is actually sharing that through any kind of circumstance he faces, through any kind of circumstance that he faces, he finds the inner ability to endure through it by his relationship with Christ. 
this whole passage, he's saying, I've learned how to be poor and I've heard, learned how to be in prosperity. I've learned how to live in hunger and I've learned how to live uh, when I have plenty to eat. It, and then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so he's talking about not his circumstances miraculously changing, but he's talking about how he has found the strength to endure it through Christ. So what, the reason I find this meaningful is because it even ends, this passage ends by saying, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. Meaning that I can go through a storm, Paul's going through any storm, and because God encourages his spirit, uh, he's able to go through any storm. But thank you for also helping me when I was in need. See how it's both spiritual and practical? He, he's saying, I can do things through Christ. Anything, I can make it through. If, I'm, if, if I have nothing, I am strong in Christ. But thanks for bringing me some food. <laughs> so he's, uh, the reason that I really feel like this needs to be understood is because we must let the reality of life set in with our new supernatural life found in Jesus. A lot of times... I'm, I'm a preacher, right? A lot of times preachers have portrayed this idea that in your new life in Christ, you're going to just supersede difficulty. You're going to supersede uh, trials or bad circumstances. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard a message that, um, that I'm not going to experience lack. That if I just trust God, he's going to supply all my needs abundantly, overflowing out of my lap more than I can handle. And I was like, I could see that with my kids, like they're blessings that I can't handle. Yeah. <laughs> but this idea that I, I simply trust God and I'm going to become rich. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want us to understand that we are given this new supernatural life in Christ while still living in the reality of this earthly life. Y'all feel me? And... When uh, not every situation is going to be God parting the waters for you. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Not every situation is going to be God parting the waters for you. Sometimes it's going to be him helping you not to drown while you're swimming through it. That's God's help sometimes. Because you're still giving it everything you got. And if it was just you, you would have drowned. But he's helping you to survive. He's helping you to, to, to stay above water, to make it through, to endure. He says, gives me strength. He's giving him strength to endure through it. And a lot of times when we imagine that God is giving us strength, we forget that we are still used, we're still here. And so we get confused and thinking like, God, I thought you were supposed to help me. But he is. We wouldn't have made it this far. We wouldn't have endured through it. it but... It's still going to hurt. It's, we're still going to feel. We're still going to feel exasperated as we go through it. It makes me think about when we first moved to, back to San Antonio to start this church. And I was just telling Lauren, uh, I think it was yesterday. Yesterday or the day before. Don't hold me to it. But I was saying, man, God has brought us so far. It is like the first time in the last several years to where it feels like we're not drowning. And I was looking back just when, uh, when we first moved here, and I was going from job to job, 
I was thinking about how uh, I would drive for Uber and Lyft till three o'clock in the morning, five to three in the morning, just picking up uh, people all hours of the night, people doing cocaine in the back of my car. <laughs> That's when I was like, you know, I think I'm done for the night. <laughs> Taxi cab confessions like crazy. I had crazy stories, and my rule was I disagreed with whatever anyone told me. <laughs> People were telling me that they're, that they're they're prostitutes, and I'm taking them to the client. It's like, hey, whatever pays electricity. You know, just <laughs> drop them off. Like, I need to lice all this back seat. But <laughs> but what I'm getting at is those beginning years were so hard, so difficult. Times that I would be just yelling in my car. Asking God, why aren't you helping me? But it's because I was past my breaking point, but I was still living. And see, I was still alive. I was still breathing, even though it felt like I was drowning. And God was sustaining me through it. And it's in those times, it's where we get the most confused and doubt God's strength in us. That we doubt God is with us. But let's not take this verse out of context. When we moved here to start the church... This verse was alive and powerful. God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to go out in faith and start this church. Then we get here, it's like, oh, what the? This is a jip. What happened? But see, he was giving us strength to endure through those hard years. It's not every situation that he's going to part the waters. Even when we look at David defeating Goliath with just a sling and a stone, crazy stories. Like, man, it was a miracle. David, for one, had to still go out on that battlefield, face death in the eyes, and be literally being a laughingstock from both sides, both armies, even his own army is like, this kid's going to die. And with a sling in his stone, he just, in faith, threw that stone. And if you've ever been a kid before, depending on like how you grew up, if you've ever thrown rocks at your friends, it's like you have rock wars. I remember being on this big hill of rocks and it was like kind of king of the hill and you're just getting like any rock you can find and throwing them at your friends. Just like, you know that it's like probably not safe, but you just, you do it anyway. And then if someone gets hurt, you're like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. But never did you throw a rock at someone's head and it go inside their skull and you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> never thought that would happen. If anything, it would just like, they'd get cut like, ow. <laughs> And these are just kids getting rocks thrown at, and it didn't even really, really hurt them. Now you're talking about a Goliath, this giant, that gets a rock thrown at him, and it sinks deep into his skull. It, see, it wasn't, it wasn't just the rock. It was God strengthening David's arm. He still had to do it. He was still working at it, but the Holy Spirit gave him the strength to do what he couldn't do. But he was still doing it. And even after that, says that David fell. David ran over to that giant. And, and people forget this part of the story. He grabbed Goliath's sword and cut off his head. It gets really graphic after that. It's not like, oh, it's just like stones. There's no blood. He cut off his head and carried his head around as a trophy. But we imagine sometimes in our battles that, that God is going to do every single step. Oh, well, uh, God is going to serve the head of my enemies to me. There's like songs like that. I'm like, what kind of battle are you facing? Like, you're praying for beheadings and stuff. But David still had to get this sword that was oversized for him. It was a heavy sword. He could barely lift up and he had to still do his work. 
I'm, I'm trying to use, expound on this idea that we use our fleshly bodies with the Spirit of God. So don't imagine that you won't experience hardships anymore, but simply know that Jesus can give you the strength to endure it. Jesus can give you the strength to endure it. I know, that's such an encouraging message, right? So that's, let's go on to our next point, which is something suitable. This is where we're going to break down the idea that God isn't insecure when we use things that he created to help us in the world. Let me say that again. God, who is the creator, isn't insecure when we use things that he created to help us in the world. What do I mean by that? Let me just share an idea for you. In Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept and then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So the reason I wanted to share the creation of uh, Eve is because God created woman so that man would not be alone. He literally created earthly companionship. He created earthly companionship. He declared it is not good for man to be alone, right? That's what we just read. This is all while God himself would walk with Adam in the garden. God would walk with Adam in the garden. And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Perfect Valentine's Day message coming up, right? Yes, God is the source of everything. He's the source. He's our fulfillment. Yes. But he's also the source of everything good in the, that has been created in the world. Because God is the creator of all things, he doesn't feel insecure when we use the very things that he created and intended for us to use. There, yes, there are moments where we put a greater importance on the created rather than the creator. And that's where we always have to check our hearts. It's like, the idea of, uh, I, I feel like a perfect example is actually like government assistance. I once I heard someone, uh, the idea that someone was like, well, I want to trust God instead of the government. And I was like, dog, God created the world. God created government to help you. What if perhaps that you're in this position where God had put you in a place where your needs were met through this system? It's not something to scoff at. It's not something to look down upon. But God is providing for you through this system that was created. And so give glory to God. You don't have to worship the government. You still give glory to God because he used this as an avenue. You see how that it changes our mindset of where our source really is. We're going beyond like the pipeline and going all the way to the source. We're not 
We're not thanking the pipes for, for giving us running water. We're, we're thanking the, the source of water. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And in the same way, in this verse, I, I really feel like we have to understand that, that God has created things in this world for us to use while we're here in this world. And that we don't have to feel guilty for that. When, when I think about, uh, there's so much like confusion even over the idea of, of like even just companionship. And, uh, and we'll get a lot more into that. We're going to go over a lot of myths um, within scripture. But I want us to understand this idea that I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, I, I want to learn how to uh, see God as my, my companion. I want to see God as my best friend, even though I don't have any friends. And it's like, that's good. Like, that's good to look for God and to be that source for everything. But it's also not bad to, like, get yourself some friends. Like, it's not, <laughs> it, it's not bad. Like, God isn't jealous. He's not jealous of that. The only times he is jealous is when we go, literally worship other things. Like, when we do, uh, when, when we give this, this, this worship of our heart to something else. But he's not insecure to where, like, if, imagine if Eve was created and Adam was like, no, I can't. God is my only source. And God's like, I just, <laughs> I just created her for you. <laughs> no, God, I just want you. <laughs> See, God is in all of his wisdom in the way, in whatever reason he does things, he created us to have companionship. It's not good for us to be alone. And here we see in the sense of marriage, but the, the verse still is prophetic to mean all aspects that we are not meant to be alone. That's why he created the church so that we could have companionship within the body of Christ. And in no way is God trying to call us to like the superior holiness of being in earthly bodies, but only looking for heavenly connection. It, it, just doesn't work like that. It's like we can have moments like that to where we're having just alone time to focus on God in prayer, but you still need to go back to companionships. It, you, you may need to like isolate yourself and have like say three days that you're just like focusing on God where you turn off the TV, like turn off uh, devices and just like kind of isolate for a minute so you can connect with God, but you don't stay there. It's similar to fasting. Like we, we, we do not live by bread alone. But it sure doesn't say we don't live by bread. It says we don't live by bread alone. We should feed our earthly bodies, but how much more we should feed our spiritual bodies. In the same way, it's like that with everything else. We've, we need companionship. We need friendships. We need relationships. And we also definitely need our relationship with Christ. And the cross is, a, is, is so prophetic in itself because it's the one symbol that's inverted. Meaning that it's not a shape like a, say, a circle, a triangle, a square that is outward. It's inverted to where their lines are intersecting. And it goes upward and outward to heaven, to earth. It, it is so meaningful to understand that the cross is, is a, a simple display of how we connect in this world. And so to further this idea that I'm saying that it is not... It, it is not bad uh, or unhealthy to desire earthly companionship while on earth because 
even the idea of marriage. We just saw that God created marriage in this moment, right? Well, look what it says in Matthew chapter 22. It says, But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, since you do not understand the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So God created marriage, this, this earthly companionship, for while we're here on earth. And in heaven, in a place that we can't even imagine, we only have these little glimpses, and even that doesn't make sense, it is so uh, impressive, so unimaginable, that we can't even begin to think of what it is like. But Jesus just says, it's not even going to be like that. On, it, whatever you think about earth, it's, it's not going to be like that in heaven. And so, even right here, God created marriage just for while we're on earth. So why, do, why have we created this idea that we have to disdain companionship and only trust in God when God created it? Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's for us to enjoy and have all on earth. And this is, I believe this is a universal principle for other things. That there's things that God has simply created and caused to be created for us to be able to allow to have here on earth. And we don't have to have shame in that. You are not dis damaging your faith by using things that have been created to help you in times of need, especially when you are still looking to God as your source. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, it's just ill-practical. And so, uh, with all, all of this being said, everything good is in fact from God. And He's created these certain things for us to use on earth only and not in heaven. And even just one last example is like the example of the sun. We literally need the sun to survive. It says in heaven that there will be no sun, that the, God himself will be our light, our, our life, our warmth. And so it's just another like really unimaginable scenario that we can't even understand how it works where God is saying this is only for the earth right now, but soon you won't need it. In heaven and in, in eternity, this won't be used, but you can use it now. You don't see us ever saying like, no, God, I'm going to trust you instead of the sun. No, it's ridiculous. In the same way, it's a created thing that he used to help us. In other ways, he's caused created things to help us, and we don't need to, to, to flick our nose at. So let's move on to our, our last point, and that is stuck on earth. Stuck on earth. We're all stuck here on this miserable planet, right? Um, depending on how you're feeling today, it's miserable or not. But stuck on earth. And I want us to understand that even though we look to heaven, we still live on earth. Even though we look to heaven, we still live on earth. And in this last point, I really want to debunk some myths that we have picked up in our Christian culture. And as I am debunking these, I want y'all to just hear me out before y'all start throwing stones, before you throw tomatoes at me, any, any kind of... A negative vibe that you want to have as I share these myths and just hear me out for what I'm saying for the full picture. Let's first start by debunking the myth of live by faith, not fear. What? Now let me be clear in what I'm saying. I am not saying that we should live by fear, not by faith. I'm, I'm really wanting to expound on how far that idea goes okay because yes we live by faith not by fear but we have taken that way farther than it was intended okay and let me show you 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 23 through 25, this is Paul shortly after he is converted to a Christian. It says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him at night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Living by fear, hiding in the middle of the night, being let down secretly. What I'm trying to get at is, yes, the statement is true. We live by faith, not by fear. It doesn't mean that we have to live foolishly either. It doesn't mean that we have to live foolishly either. Here we see Paul afraid for his life. He is afraid for his life. And so he secretly leaves the city in order to avoid certain death. How could he? It's, he's living by fear in this moment. No, he's living by common sense. He, he is not testing God. And see, that's what we do sometimes. It's like when Jesus told the devil, the devil told Jesus, turn these, uh, these stones into bread. Or, no, I'm sorry, wrong verse. He told, uh, wrong temptation. He told Jesus, jump from this mountain, for it says in scriptures that the angels will carry you, make sure that you don't hurt your foot on a stone. That's living by faith, not by fear. That's what the devil's tactic was. You're, aren't you really going to live by faith and jump off of here and know that God is going to save you? And Jesus said, the Bible also says, do not test the Lord your God. Here, this is common sense that Paul is using. And he's not testing God saying, well, God will just protect me. I'll go out and, uh, and God won't let them harm me. No, he gets let down by a basket and he uses common sense. And it is okay to use common sense while we still live on earth. Yes, there are other moments in life where God may tell us to do something very counterintuitive by faith in order to display a miracle. Yes, there are times where God will do that. But I'm simply saying that he also calls us to figure things out in natural and simple ways too. There's times where he just calls us to figure things out in natural and simple ways too. I would beckon the idea that when we read in Scripture miraculous moments that were displayed to where it seemed counterintuitive, were, were usually moments that were life and death that and, and were forming the direction for the entire country of Israel. Moments like Gideon's saying, take only 300 men. It was a huge act of faith. And it was a tr God was clearly telling him multiple times, and Gideon even put out his fleece and tried to, to ask God to confirm it in different ways. And it was for... It is a miraculous moment to bring spiritual revival to the people of Israel as well as practical deliverance from the oppressing nations. It was like, it was a big deal. Talking about an entire liberation of a country that was being oppressed. And we often take those miracles, I'm like, God, I'm about to buy this new car and I need you to do a miracle. I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to just give them my card. And I believe you're going to just supply the need. <laughs> I've heard of real stories like that. <laughs> I, I need a new car. My old car works just fine, but I need a new one. <laughs> and see, we, we try to take these, these miraculous, life-changing, world-changing miracle moments and apply them to really ordinary 
needs in our life. Not even needs, wants in our life. Do y'all see the difference? So yes, we live by faith, not by fear, but we also use common sense too. Okay? Another, another myth that I want us to debunk today. Just trust God for your healing. Just trust God for your healing. I want to just share this scripture. 1 Timothy 5.23. Paul is talking to Timothy, and at the end of his, his talk with him, he says, Do not go on drinking only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I want us, before I expound on this, I want us to understand, yes, Jesus is our healer 100%. I believe that, that, honestly, I believe that people should go to Jesus for their healing first before they go to anyone else. I really do believe that. I, I've, see, I've seen people miraculously heal, healed, tumors literally disappearing. I, I've seen uh, people literally blind in one eye being able to see. It, I, I've, I've seen real bona fide miracles. And Jesus is our healer 100%. I myself have experienced God's healing multiple times in my life. My wrist was broken at one point. I was supposed to have surgery. Couldn't afford the surgery. I literally had a miracle moment where God healed my wrist and I was able to fully fully mobile while before I couldn't use it. I had an injury on my leg. I couldn't even, I had a limp and I would pray for God to heal me and I would just go running in faith and, and I was completely able to run when I never, when I had a problem just walking. I run for miles and miles. I would run for seven miles. When it was hard for me to just walk normally. And so I am saying 100% Jesus is our healer. But even, uh, and even with the woman with the issue of blood that we read about in the Gospels, she spent her whole life looking for healing from natural ways. It says that she would go from doctor to doctor and, have, and looking for medical intervention, but nothing worked. In fact, things got worse. Okay, a lot of us have experienced that too. And it, nothing else worked until she encountered the miraculous healing touch of Jesus. And this is still true today. Okay, I want to be 100% clear on that. But in this verse, we see this simple verse showing that God doesn't prohibit us to use worldly, natural, created things to help us with our bodily ailments. Paul Okay, let's understand who Paul is. It says that miracles were literally following him. That he would just walk by and his shadow would fall on people and they would be healed. Crazy healer. R r people were covering all around and he would just like, people would, it, it seemed like anywhere he would show up, he would just pray and they would get healed. And he is telling Timothy, do this because you're, you, for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, this is, this is him literally prescribing to Timothy a natural remedy. And I don't know what kind of ailments Peter, uh, uh, Timothy had here. It, to where, but what, what we're seeing is this moment where Paul is telling him, drink this to help you with your stomach. This is, this is really, really, this is a moment where a lot of even theologians would have trouble explaining it because we would heap all these other reasons of why Paul wouldn't say this. And he's saying, drink this for the sake of your stomach. And let's not be mistaken. When it says wine here, uh, 
the, the way things were fermented back then is not the way uh, things were fermented now. It's not like he was saying like, hey, like take a couple of shots of whiskey and you know, <laughs> let it just settle. You'll feel better after this, trust me. <laughs> it, this is like equivalent to like, uh, like non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> that's, how, like, that's how less, less uh, fermented it was compared to the way we do things now. But even if it was, the, it, it doesn't matter. The, the point that I'm trying to say is he is prescribing this natural idea to simply help him. And, and Timothy must have had some kind of notion to where he was refusing help because he, uh, for whatever reason, he was, refus- he was only drinking water. And Paul says, do not just go on drinking water. It, it, almost like a father to a son. It's like, I imagine myself, I'm a father. And if my, my daughter was sick with like, just say the, the cold. And I was like, here, drink some medicine. And she's like, no, I'm believing God for my healing. I believe that 100%. If anyone else were to tell me that, I'd like, amen. But if it was my daughter, like, well, just drink this just in case. <laughs> it's like you just, you just kind of come out of yourself and you're like, well, I just want you to feel better. And that's the way Paul is talking to Timothy, just like a father to his son. He's like, I just want you to feel better. He doesn't like to see him in pain. The, all that to say, God is our healer but he doesn't prohibit us from using the things of this world to help us at certain times. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So let me debunk one last myth. And that is, this is, this is a Valentine's message for y'all. <laughs> this, is, this is for a, a, a Jason's like, all right, like, <laughs> let's, let's go. All right, let's debunk this myth. Maybe I'm just called to singleness. Let me look at all the single people real quick. <laughs> Maybe I'm just called to singleness. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say that. They just discourage. <laughs> they're over there on Christian mingle, like I'm trying to do it the right way. And they're looking at all their profile pictures and like, maybe I'm just called to singleness. <laughs> These are some of the ugliest people I've seen in my life. And they're all Christian. I'm just called to singleness. That's what it is. It's all my past that God is now bringing forth and saying, I have to just trust him now. See, that's, that's great now. But let's look at what the scripture says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, Paul says to the church of Corinth, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if you remain even as I. Talking about single. But... If they do not have self-control, let them marry. (laughs) For it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. This this verse is really simple. Because what it's saying... Let's go back to it. (laughs) He's saying, if, if you're unmarried, you're widow, you can be single too, just like I am. And keep in mind, what is Paul doing? Is he just at home, like, having a... A normal life, normal job. No, he's literally traveling life and death scenarios all the time. He's shipwrecked countless all these times. He's left for dead. He's been beaten with rods. He's not necessarily a family man. He, he takes his own life at risk all the time for the, for the benefit of presenting the gospel everywhere he goes. So that's why he's saying, it's good for you to say as I am. Because you have less responsibility to be able to just focus on doing even reckless things for God. But if you don't have self-control, you better just get married. (laughs) If you want to, 
then you better just get married. That's what he's saying. If you want to, then go ahead. Let me, let me share this, uh, the rest of this verse. Going down 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. He says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. Emphasis, not to put a restraint on you but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This, this verse is, is really, really powerful because this idea, if you were called to singleness, if you were called to singleness, you wouldn't have a desire for a spouse. There's truly some people that, that, that really don't even have this, this desire for uh, this this a spouse, earthly companionship, and they really just like are gung-ho for the Lord. They want to just be missionaries and just serve their life like that. Praise God for them, okay? But if you were called to that, you wouldn't have this desire. And it's not wrong to have that desire. Paul's saying, if you have that desire, then go ahead. Why are you asking me about it? <laughs> He's he even says, as simple as can be, if you desire a spouse, go and get you one so you can move on with your life. That's literally what he's saying. And Paul isn't condemning relationships either. Nor is he saying that, uh, saying that saying single makes you a better Christian. He is simply saying that it is simpler to do ministry being single because it is a lot easier being a single adult than a married person with a family. I'll tell you this right now. If I was a single adult pastor, this church would have been set up before 10 o'clock. We, we could do multiple services. I don't care. We would be able to do, uh, it would be, getting here would be no problem. But let me, let me paint you an image for this morning. <laughs> I have three kids under three, three, two, and one. And when they wake up, we have to feed them clothe them, get them ready. And then we have to get ready, clothe ourselves, brush our teeth, all while our kids are killing each other. <laughs> Running around the house. You know, two and three-year-olds just have this, 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 this power grab of thinking it's hilarious to push over a one-year-old barely learning to walk. They think it's hilarious. And then you're like, don't push him. Okay, let me just tickle him to death. While he's standing, it's, it's, it's a disaster. And so we're literally, Joy wakes up at 6.30, guys. And we got here at 10.15. We barely made it here. And, and even just to, to set things up, we had to keep one of them in the stroller the whole time. Just to, They're crying. It's like, you can just have to wait, boy. Like, this is just how things are going to have to go. And if you've ever seen us setting up or tearing down, how many of y'all have seen me moving a table while carrying a baby? And you look at it and you think that's unsafe. Yeah, that's what Paul was talking about. 
He's saying it, it'd be easier for you if you're single. That's all he's saying. But he is not trying to say, oh, you, it'll make you a better Christian. If you really love the Lord, then you don't need anyone. He's not saying that. He's just saying it'll be a simpler life for you. If you've ever heard an adult, if you've ever, ever heard an adult, when you were thinking about having kids, when you were thinking about marriage, what do older people always tell you? Just wait. <laughs> I'm telling you, just wait. I don't know how many people would tell us that about kids. Like, just enjoy the moment now. <laughs> And I'm like, what are they talking about? I know what they're talking about. <laughs> I know what they say. Same thing goes from, it's like you just, you don't know until you know. And Paul's simply saying, I'm trying to save you from a simpler, for a simpler life. That's all he's saying. But if you desire that, then go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not stopping you. He says, I'm not putting any restraints on you. Go ahead. And so, get, our, our culture, Christian culture, we get so spiritual so we, we, we just make things bigger in our head. That's just it. And we take just single scriptures, and we think that God is just speaking to us like this, this weird thing to us. Like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be single forever. And it scares me. Because what if I just really... Uh, like, dude, get over yourself. It, like, just go and get someone. It's fine. You'll, you'll figure it out. Don't think that the world, the universe is working against you to stay single. That's God's will. It's like... Just chill out for a second and just allow yourself to think like, maybe I just haven't found an attractive person yet, but there are attractive people out there that I would like to be with. I just, I'm, I just need some more time. <laughs> I just haven't found them. it. It's just simple, guys. It's, don't overthink it, really, because you're going to be stuck on earth for a while. You're going to be stuck on earth for a while. I, I used to think... I mean, I lived a completely different life before I gave my life to Christ, but I used to believe that I was never going to make it past the age of 21. I really thought I would just be dead by then. And that had a lot to do with the kind of lifestyle I lived before. And then after I gave my life to Christ, I was like, well, I'm sure the end of the world will happen before then. <laughs> and now I'm like, well, shoot, I guess I'm going to have to settle in here on earth. I'm going to have to actually take some responsibilities and be wise about choices because I'm going to be here for a while. We can be heavenly-minded and earthly good. And the Bible promotes that. And with all that I'm saying and, and these myths that I'm trying to, to, uh, to debunk in our heads and the idea that uh, even these other thoughts that we have about um, that God has created things suitable for us here on earth. We're, we're on earth. We're trying to figure things out. And my heart in this, this message, my heart in this series, is for you to find strength in Christ. Just like that first point. Find strength in Christ to endure this world. Not just the trials that we face, but this world. This world is chaos. This world has pain. This world has death. This world has some hardship. And in Christ, we can find strength to endure it. And when we're trying to navigate the will of God, it, it makes so many people feel confused and thinking that they're like handcuffed and they're too afraid to not do something because they don't want to upset their creator. Truly, if you just make your heart right with God, just be transparent with God in your heart and your desires, he'll make things clear to you when, whenever it's like out of whack. Line it up the best you can biblically 
But God has given you the freedom. His will is free will for you. Notice that it says in that first scripture we read in Genesis that God brought all of the animals to Adam for him to name. God had full power and creativity to name every single animal, but he gave Adam the free will to choose how to, how to operate in this world. And he's given us so much free will, so much free will. I don't want you to feel confused about that. I don't want you to feel restrained and, and feeling afraid that you are upsetting God. I want you to know that God has given you a lot of freedom as a Christian, as a believer. And when you just lift your hands up and surrender to him saying, I want you to have your way in my life. I'm going to walk the best I can. Help me along the way. He's cool with that. He, he wants you to, to live your life and he will be there to help you when you ask him for help. He will strengthen you when you need strength. But we need to get in our head that we are spiritually minded. We are heavenly minded and we're here to do good on earth. So stop holding back. Let's, let's bow our heads for a moment and pray. With all of this talk here, I want to ask two things. The first thing I want to ask is if you're here today and you just know in your heart that you have not made that decision moment. You haven't had a, a, made a choice to have that surrendered life to Jesus. You haven't had a surrendered life to God. You've been kind of trying to navigate your way to him. And you've been trying to even maybe get things right in your life to, to please God. You're, you have this idea, I want to get right first before I come to God. That's not really how it works. Jesus says, just come as you are and I will walk with you through the rest. He helps us to make those wrong things right. We can never do it on our own first. And so if you're here and you want to have that decision moment and just, and just have this moment where you enter in this relationship with your Savior, with your Lord, Jesus Christ, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. If that was you, the Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God that died on the cross for the world's sin, and who rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you talk to him yourself and acknowledge the sacrifice he made for you, acknowledge his, his, his role, his authority, who he is, and have a genuine heart, that that is all it takes to start this journey with him. Repentance isn't a, a, a dirty spiritual word. It simply means to change direction. And when we repent, it just means that we were walking away from God, but now we're trying to walk towards God. That's what repentance is. And so just have your own conversation with Jesus, your own moment right now. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to him yourself. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask is that if you're here, and maybe what I talked about today when it comes to the will of God and feeling confused and even hesitant about what to do because you're scared of making the wrong choice, and today was just uh, something that you needed to hear to feel a sense of relief. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hands. So God, right now I pray for the Holy Spirit to just to rest on these people. That you cause them to experience your peace. And help them as they are navigating their lives. Give them direction. And give them peace. I pray that you make them sensitive to your spirit and empower them to live the life that you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen.
With all that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. And before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a good rest of your life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.